0: this is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. My goodness, lots to get to today. Twins home opener, opener of the whole season, three o'clock this afternoon. We'll talk a little Twins in a little bit. Got to talk Tiger Woods in a little bit. Shot a one under on Thursday in his return at the Masters. An unbelievable round had me glued to the TV. Got to talk Timberwolves, they are now locked into that number 7 seed, will play in the play-in round early next week against the Clippers. Got to get to that. Sarah McClellan will join me talking wild big game against St. Louis tonight. But first, what did I miss? Gophers men's hockey season comes to an end. Minnesota State-Mankato hockey season continues. Mavericks beat the Gophers 5-1 in the national semifinals. On Thursday in Boston, our guy Randy Johnson was out there covered it, saw it all with his own eyes, while most of us were watching it on TV. And I'd like to bring him in here in just a minute to talk through, you know, a game that I watched almost from start to finish, and just never got the sense, even when the Gophers were ahead, that it was going to be their night. Mankato was just the better team for, you know, almost all of those sixty minutes, and unfortunately, that's how the season ends for the Gophers. I'm joined right now bright and early from Boston on Friday morning by Randy Johnson covers Gophers hockey, college hockey in general for the Star Tribune. Randy, um, not a whole lot to dissect necessarily from that five to one Minnesota State Mankato victory over the Gophers, ending uh, the Gophers very good season, um, You know, a game short of the title game extending. Minnesota state Mankato season into the title game against Denver. Um, but, you know, even when the Gophers got that first goal in the first period off that turnover, very nice goal. Um, it, it felt most of the night, like that was Mankato's game.
1: Yeah, definitely there, Mike. It, it was, uh, they were just so good on the forecheck and they controlled things from the start. Uh, basically it, it felt a little bit like fool's gold. It's like, okay, the Gophers get the lead there. Um, uh, if they're going to do this, they're going to have to do it by maybe pitching a shutout. And Makedo just kept wearing down, wearing them down. and Then kind of popped in the second period there with those two wraparound goals by Benton Moss and Reggie Lutz. Uh, Gophers going into the third period, down a goal. Um, they got to keep it tight. They they don't. Uh, less a little bit less than two minutes in, tip in by Andre Pavel uh, puts puts Makedo up. Uh, Mavericks up three one in. From there, it's a very, very tough uphill climb for Minnesota.
0: How do you, you know, going into this game, it felt like these teams were relatively evenly matched. And we saw, you know, it was close for you know the, the better part of the game. What, what do you attribute the fact that, you know, just this didn't seem like the Gophers team we've seen for a lot of this season. Was that more to do with what Mankato was able to do? Was it just a, sometimes teams have a clunker? How, how do you how do you figure that one? I don't
1: look at this as a clunker for the Gophers. I, I do look at it as as Minnesota State just imposing their will on on them. Um, it's something you know they they have a structured game and they play it well. And and last night was a, was a great example of that. And the interesting thing it wasn't their stars necessarily that were were doing the damage. Uh, they were getting third the stuff out from their third and fourth line uh, people. And you know it's they're a lot deeper team than pe- people might re- realize.
0: Bob Motzko, after the game, had similar thoughts. I'm going to play a clip of Bob Motzko game right now. I mean,
2: first, I mean, Cato, you got to give them an enormous amount of credit. Uh, for big chunks of the game, they kicked our butt. And, uh, you know, I, I, the first period was great. We got the lead. We kind of withstood it. Um, we, we thought the, the horn, great. Let's get into, you know, regroup. And then we made a couple mistakes. In the second period, you know, everything that we, you know, they scored exactly how, you know, we, we knew we had to defend. And then we were chasing the game, you know. And you know, we made it close a couple of times. You know, Benny had a great chance, you know, 30 seconds into the third period. Point blank, they stopped. And then they score a minute and a half into the third, and that was it. It was over. Um, but I'm so proud of our guys. I mean, this was a terrific group of guys we had. You know, this is not indicative of what the season we had. Um we had a terrific season, terrific team. We just ran into a really good hockey team tonight.
0: Okay, so he basically saying, you know, it, you know what kind of what you were saying, you know, that kept it close, but that goal early in the third period, and then just Mankato for long stretches of the game, like you said, kind of kicked their butts, and that's going to serve Mankato well. You know, it, you know, Denver, I we, I don't know if I'd say Denver was a surprise winner over Michigan, but the way they were able to limit Michigan in that uh, in that first semi-final game, especially in the first two periods. I think Michigan only had nine shots. Uh, it, it's yeah. going to be an interesting final now with, uh, you know, with Mankato going for their first ever national championship.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like the matchup. I think you only know, see a couple of uh, uh, teams that play a good structured game. Uh, you know, Denver has a lot of firepower. They, they have basically uh, eight guys with 30 or more points. led by Bobby Brink, uh, the nation's uh, leading scorer. Uh, basically, uh, you know, it should be similar like this. Whichever team can uh, um, impose its game on the other has a really good chance to win. I, I would be, I don't, you know, Denver's very good. I just looking at how Minnesota state played last night. They're, they're going to be really tough to beat.
0: A couple more thoughts for you, Randy. Um, where do the Gophers, you know, I, I would, I would say based on everything that happened this year, especially with. LaFontaine leaving in the middle of the season, then having the, you know, the the un, unexpected um, interruption with the Olympics with players leaving for that, you know, reaching the frozen four was certainly an accomplishment for this team. You know, roster wise, you know, program building wise, w- where do they go from here? What does next season look like for this program?
1: Hey, you know, that's a good question, because they are going to suffer some losses uh, in personnel. You know, Ben Myers, the, their leading store almost certainly is, is leaving. And, and Bob Moscow admitted that, uh, he's a junior who's got a year of eligibility left, but he's, he's the most sought after free agent, uh, uh college free agent uh, for NHL teams. And we might even see the, the local NHL club, uh, take a run at signing him. Um, you wonder about, uh, Brock Faber and Jackson McComb, two high draft picks, uh, they there's a good chance they might not be back. Uh, you know, Matthew Nice is number one, another one you got to look at. Uh, you know, he's, he's got an NHL size body already and he, he really came on strong on the, on the stretch. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be uh, the, uh have a good, I guess, uh how, how would I put it? Just basically how, how they go into next year. They have some good recruits coming in one of the top ones in the country uh, out, of, out of Pittsburgh. So they're, they're, they should be pretty good again next year, but they will have some significant losses.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's always hard right after a loss, especially in, you know, in a national semifinal. What, what did you get a sense of mood was from this team? Was it, you know, down in the moment? Was it, you know, proud of, of what they did? What What did you get a sense for how, how they frame this entire year?
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, the, the players were 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 pretty, and, and Coach Moscow, too. They, they were pretty uh, down. Um, you know, basically this one thing's pretty pretty hard. It's it's you know you, you're that close to your goal, and the season ends against a against another team from Minnesota. That 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 isn't a good feeling for them. Um, but you know, I think deep down they'll they'll be able to look at uh, you know a, a season that uh, had a lot of positives.
0: Sounds good, Randy. Your coverage had a lot of positives as well. Go read that, Star Tribune, startribune.com. Have a safe trip home, and we'll catch you again down the road, all right? I appreciate it, Mike. It's been fun all year doing this. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24 7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is Play Day. Like I mentioned at the jump, it is opening day for the Twins. We got to talk about that team for a little bit, even though we did most of the season preview on Thursday. The trade of uh, Taylor Rogers was not finalized. We talked about it some, as it was seems like it was, seemed like it was nearing the finish line not long before I recorded on Thursday, but that became official. Chris Paddock, the primary player coming back, although the Twins also got a relief pitcher in uh, Emilio Pagan coming back as well, so not all is lost in the bullpen, but just very, very strange times with these Twins. I don't know what to make of this team. I don't know, I don't even know who's in the starting rotation right now, because you thought before they added Paddock that it was going to be, you know, Joe Ryan, who's getting the ball today, uh, Bailey Ober, and then veterans, Sonny Gray, uh Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy. Now they've got six including Paddock. I don't know if he slots in if they go with the six-man rotation early and then sort it out as time goes on. If somebody's the odd man out and suddenly becomes a long reliever. I don't know. I so I don't know who's going to start and I don't know who's going to finish games cuz Taylor Rogers um you know for as much as they might have struggled to keep him keep him next year when he was going to be a free agent and was going to get expensive. Uh, He was a guy that you could say in the back half of your bullpen, that's a guy that can get me you know, four or five outs sometimes on a given night. Now I don't know who's going to pitch the seventh, I don't know who's going to pitch the eighth, and I don't know who's going to pitch the ninth. I'm sure Tyler Duffy will get some of that. I'm sure Joe Smith will get some of that. Maybe even Pagan gets some of that. Um, And some of their younger guys, especially John Duran, will get some of that as well. And maybe a Jorge Alcala, but... A lot of question marks down there in the bullpen. Not uh, not a lot of sure things anywhere on this pitching staff. So just the uncertainty heading into opening day. And again, it's it's a mystery that's also kind of fun, right? You, you, sometimes when you don't know what's going to happen, it makes you want to watch more. It makes you want to pay attention more. It gives you some incentive to to be invested in a team because there is the potential here for things to be pretty good if this lineup stays healthy and if they get some surprisingly at least adequate starting pitching um so we will see is uh, is the mantra you know if if the uh, if the mantra or the the slogan of the twins 20 years ago was get to know them i think the slogan of this year's team is we will see i i just i don't know again i've talked about this plenty i don't know how to predict this team but You know, the good thing is we're going to finally start to see some tangible things on the field instead of having to guess at what all these things are going to be. And it should be a lot of fun, right? It's going to be a fun season one way or the other. I think they've got too many good players for this to fall apart. But I also think they have enough question marks they are going to see a lot of weird 8-6 to games because I don't know how they're going to do it any other way. The Wolves beat San Antonio. 127-121. Anthony Edwards, 49 points in that game. That was the biggest takeaway from that game. You got Ant back looking like Ant in that game. They will need that in the playoffs, and as it turns out, they will need that in the play-in because even though they won that game, um, Denver also beat Memphis, so that means The Wolves are relegated to the 7th seed, will be in the play-in round, will play the Clippers on Tuesday night at 8.30 at Target Center. Win that one, and they will get to be the 7th seed. They will get to be in the the playoffs, and they'll get to play Memphis. Lose that one, and they will have to play at home again, the winner of the Pelicans-Spurs play-in game, uh, with a chance to then play the Suns in the first round. So tough opponents no matter what, but that Clippers game is going to be tough. Clippers are getting Paul George back, getting Norman Powell back, getting, you know, getting much better down the stretch. They're better than a 500 team. This is a team with tons of playoff experience. That is going to be a test right off the jump for the Wolves in that play-in round. So play is the kind of thing that I think I loved at the beginning of the year because I thought it would give the Wolves a better chance of getting into some sort of, some sort of postseason, and now um, it's biting them because they were by far... um worthy of being a playoff team, you know, even without having to go through this mix. Now, you can also say this, if you can't at least beat one of these two teams at home to get into the playoffs, you probably don't deserve it. I get that. I also think body of work should matter and that they, over the course of 81 games now being 46 and 35, have proven that they are a playoff team. So they're going to have to do a little bit more work to get into the regular playoffs, but that will be exciting too, because that is a one game do or die um, you know, not exactly because then they get the one more chance if they lose that first one. But each of those games is just one, one game for one round. Winner goes in, loser, you know, either is out or has to play the next round and, and try to get in one more time. So that should be exciting next Tuesday and should be nerve wracking for the Wolves as they try to make the playoffs for just the second time since 2004. Happy to be rejoined on Daily Delivery by Sarah McClellan, covers the Wild 4 4- the star tribune it's been a pretty good run for that team lately but hit another snag against a team that's been a familiar pain to them this year nashville lost 6-2 the other night their third loss in three tries none of them particularly close against the predators but it did end sarah a string of what nine ten games in a row where they've gotten points so it's not we're not here to talk gloom and doom we're here kind of of more to talk matchups and just you know as they go down the home stretch here, try to fine tune their game, you know, for what is almost certainly going to be a trip to the playoffs. How how much does it matter that they've kind of struggled against the two teams? They're almost likely to, they're most likely to play. I mean, St. Louis just once so far and they'll play them again Friday. How much does that matter versus how much does it matter just how they are playing and preparing in these final 13 games?
3: Yeah, it is kind of perplexing that this is a team that has scored very signature wins against some of the best teams in the NHL this season in Washington and Carolina and even Tampa Bay but this is a team that has struggled inside its own division and the national matchup is a perfect example of that i think the game earlier this week was going to be a maybe a good check in a, a good test because the, the previous two losses Uh, One was really early in the season and the other one was obviously uh, during a during a slide. Um, But, you know, this latest matchup was completely different circumstances. The wild was rolling, just coming off, you know, a couple of wins at Carolina, at Washington, a 10 game point streak, like you mentioned. Um, And this obviously is the team now, you know, the trade deadline acquisitions have settled into their roles. The wild looked very different than those previous matchups. But yet you're right. It was the same outcome, a lopsided loss that was particularly fueled by special teams play. And I think that's the big takeaway right now. And we'll see if that is a factor in this next matchup against St. Louis, but um, you know, the wild has, you know, rediscovered its scoring prowess and the defense has tightened up and the goaltending obviously has been steady, but Special teams still remain an issue and it's not a new problem. Obviously, the power play has been very up and down. The penalty kill has had ruts and it's still, you know, a problem for this team as it is trying to fine tune for the playoffs with this new look lineup that was put in place to succeed in the playoffs. So uh, I think that was the big takeaway, obviously, from this last loss to the Predators and that whole season series has been dominated by special teams play. And I I think what's uh, important about that is that not only is this a division matchup that could very well, you know, obviously reappear in the playoffs, but special teams do tend to play a very significant factor in the postseason. Um, series can be won or lost by power plays and penalty kills. And so I think that really should probably, and, you know, maybe a big focus the rest of the way is is trying to find some consistency with that, trying to make it so that it's not something that is deciding wins and losses for this team. If it can't be, you know, a positive momentum generator, Um, because we can see obviously what happens when it isn't a 6-2 loss to a division team that is still, you know, many points behind the wild in the standings.
0: Now it seemed like, you know, there was a tone set from the outset of that game. It was a very physical game. A lot of fights early on, you know, that'll happen between division rivals, especially at this time of year. You get the sense that Nashville wants to draw the wild into that kind of game, get into a kind of game where special teams work to their advantage. Because I think in in all those matchups, you're right. It has been a factor. Wild have not seemed to have an answer for what, whatever Roman Yossi does. And obviously he, He's a problem for a lot of teams. He's a very good player, but he in particular seems to give them problems, especially on the power play.
3: Yeah, he's kind of that quarterback. And and Marcus Plano mentioned that in particular, that role that he plays, and maybe that's something the team has to specifically adjust to in the next matchup. But you're right. It it was a more grittier game, that physicality, the edginess. And I don't you know, I don't know if that was one side trying to send a message. And and, you know, Dean Evason, the coach, didn't feel that the Wild was initiating that. Um, But obviously, that's what's changed, too, since the last time these two teams met was that the Wild did bring more toughness into its lineup. Nick Delorier, Jake Middleton, obviously, two of the players that did fight in that game. But still, you're right. This is a team that thrives at five on five. This is a team that is built to succeed by rolling its lines and having, you know, four forward lines, three defensive pairs engaged. And when someone's in the penalty box serving a penalty, obviously that rhythm gets interrupted. And you could see that then, um, you know, just the team struggle to get to its game and keep the action at five on five with three power play goals against. Um, it's just not a recipe for success for this team. And, and I think they know that, um, but it still obviously is an eyesore as this team is trying to fine-tune its game for the playoffs, especially in these matchups. Like you said, that could be a preview of what's to come in the first round.
0: Yeah, just noticing right now, and I I checked it earlier, and I just wanted to double-check that I was right. Wild going up 54 power play goals this year that is the third most in the nfl or nhl excuse me um that's you know again like you said that's 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 problematic it's not something you can't fix but you know 69 games into an 82 game season it does also kind of feel like that is who they are and maybe the the best way to solve that is you know not so much uh fixing everything that's broken right now as much as it is trying to stay out of the penalty box in the first place because they, they might know that that's a weakness they have.
3: Yeah. Staying out of the box is key. And that was something that the team mentioned after this loss to Nashville and, and Dean Everson said, he looked back, he, he didn't feel like the wild was undisciplined. And if discipline isn't a problem, then maybe it's just being diligent and just knowing that this is something the team has to avoid because you look back through, you know, playoff history and, and you can just see so many series that either change or there's a big momentum shift because of, a power play goal, a timely, opportunistic um, scoring chance, a, a, a big penalty kill. Special teams just tend to get magnified in the postseason. And we're already seeing that shift as the regular season action is starting to mimic what the playoff intensity will be like and you know it obviously was a huge factor in this loss and and i'm guessing that's probably something the team has to brace for down you know the rest of the the stretch drive here to to the playoffs is just realizing that and trying to maybe not make it as big of a factor in these games if the wild you know continues to lose the special teams battle
0: one thing i should mention too um is that Cam Talbot has not played in any of these three games against Nashville. The first two were Capocchino and this last one was Marc-Andre Fleury. Not sure what that plays into it. Not like those aren't capable goalies, especially Marc-Andre Fleury. We know what his reputation is, but you do wonder if Cap or um, you do wonder if Cam Talbot gets the start in that last game against Nashville. kind of depending on where they are in the season I suppose too, but you know, it's it is still a point too that Nashville is in fourth place, still still not the most likely first-round playoff opponent for the Wild. That would be St. Louis at this point, a team they lost to in that Winter Classic. They only played them once this year. They'll play them for a second time in St. Louis on Friday. Then again, about a week later, also in St. Louis. So three more games against these, these two opponents, all of them on the road, chances to kind of prove themselves against these teams and also kind of get themselves in the right frame of mind going towards that postseason.
3: Yeah, I think St. Louis is the really intriguing team in this division and maybe even in the West right now in terms of like the teams that are maybe top three in the division um, in the in the Pacific and in the Central, because obviously Colorado is, you know, running away with the best record in the NHL. You know, they are obviously the bona fide contender. But St. Louis has the experience. They have the pedigree and they've accomplished what, you know, the avalanche hasn't in recent years. And that's, you know, winning a title, winning the Stanley cup. And a lot of that roster is still in place. And so I think, you know, maybe that's the muscle memory, but getting into the postseason, I think St. Louis is, you know, could be a very credible opponent, even if they are coming in as a, as the third seed. And obviously then the visitor, Um, the road team in that first round series. Um, So that's why I think Friday um, will be a good test for the wild to, again, check in, see where that matchup is at. They've only played once this season. It was the debacle that was the winter classic, a six, four loss at target field. Um, But the wild wasn't at full strength then. Obviously, you know, Matt Dumba was injured in the game at Nashville, but this is more, in tune with how the Wild is expecting to look in the postseason in a potential first round matchup, potentially against St. Louis. Um, so, this is going to be a significant test and um, see maybe how far they've come since that New Year's Day game and really maybe get a preview of what to expect if, in fact, this matchup does line up for the first round of the playoffs. Again, I think St. Louis still with that experience, the heaviness, the scale, the speed, I think they still possess the formula that will win in this conference, especially in the postseason. Um, so this should be a really timely measuring stick for the wild to see where it's at and see what it, like I said, can maybe expect in the first round.
0: It is nice this time of year to be talking about potential matchups instead of holding on for dear life to a playoff spot. It doesn't feel like that's going to be the, the ride to the finish um, this year. I mean, like you said, like I've already said, they were on a 10-game point streak before this loss to Nashville. It's not like we're talking about a team this, where the wheels are falling off. They've played very well over this last three weeks or so. A Question, couple of questions for you before we get out of here. One, as I haven't paid as close of attention since the deadline other than to see that they have been winning games and, and you know beating opponents pretty regularly. Stylistically, have you noticed that big of a difference since those additions you talked about, you know, with, with a little bit more grit and muscle, does that show up dramatically on the ice or is it more subtle?
3: I think it's just reinforced the style that this team had already wanted to play. And, and I think it points to then obviously some pretty seamless transitions into the lineup. Um, I, I think it's just bolstered what the wild was already probably designed to do. Um, and, and then obviously it's not a jarring adjustment the rest of the way. Um, Nick Deloria has come in and, and brought that grit to the fourth line. Um, that's been, you know, a, a steady, a steady trio that's been able to, like this team does when it has success, just be part of that rotation, having four lines in. And this road trip too, has been a good test for the wild in that, all these trade acquisitions, you know, settled into the lineup while the team was on a lengthy homestand. So the wild really got to dictate matchups. They got to put which lines they wanted on the ice as, as part of last change. On the road, it's it's flipped and it's the opposite. And the wild still, especially in you know, the wins at Carolina and Washington, um, you know, was able to, to roll its lines and wasn't caught vulnerable. Um, so that speaks to that, you know, I think that transition as well, like a Tyson Jost who jumped up uh, onto the the Freddie Goudreau, Kevin Fiala line with Matt Boldy out injured. He looks like he's obviously fit in. And Jake Middleton is still, you know, on this top pairing next to Jared Spurgeon. Um, and obviously Marc-Andre Fleury, that was his first loss in Nashville, which obviously looking at those power play goals and, and the tips and the redirections and how many highlight reel saves he had in between, um, that was more indicative of what was going on in front of him than his play, clearly. But it has been you know, pretty seamless. And, and I think you're right. It does kind of speak to that these were kind of not subtle adjustments, but they were reinforcing, you know, the identity and the attributes that were already there, and it's been obviously helpful. I think for the while to get them in, get them into this rhythm, and then, like you said, have this run where it's clear that you know they're making a difference and helping the team succeed at the important time of the season before the playoffs.
0: In the midst of this run, final thought for you: they now have um, two players on each of their top three lines that have 20 goals. Um, you got. Obviously, at the top of that list, the guy I want to talk about mostly here, Kirill Kaprizov, who has 40 now, which is unbelievable. I think the I feel like the last time we talked on this podcast, he had like seven or eight fewer, and it wasn't that long ago. He has been on a goal scoring binge, but you know you've got a lot of other guys up there. You know Ryan Hartman with 27, Kevin Fiala with 23, Zuccarello and Eric Seneck with 21 each, and Marcus Foligno with 20. A lot of that balance, but. You know, balance is nice in the postseason. You kind of some, sometimes need that guy who can go score two goals in a 3-2 win and just carry you to the finish line. And we've thought that for, you know, most of the season about um, uh, about Kaprizov, but he seems to have found another, another gear uh, beyond even what he was at a month ago to me.
3: Yeah, he was a major catalyst offensively during this 10-game point streak. And I think that just speaks to the clutch factor that he seems to have in his game. Not just, you know, this is an important time of the season and the team is trying to lock in, you know, playoff positioning. But in games, too, the significance of the goals that he scores, they're always just at important times. You know, you just don't see him patting out a score in a lopsided 6-1 game. It's, you know game opening goals it's time goals it's insurance goals it's it's just timely contributions and i think that really does speak to another part of his tool set his effectiveness just how he's able to find space and opportunities on the ice when it should be difficult and obviously like you said, there are scoring scoring possibilities throughout this lineup. Six twenty goal scores, um, such a unique attribute to have in today's NHL. But you know that he is getting you know marked by <laughs> the other team's top defense players, and he's still finding a way to contribute and. You know, we'll see where his stats end up. He's already claimed, obviously, the points record for a single season. He's two away from time, the goals record, um, you know, and it just kind of seems like he'll probably just keep chasing these milestones. um, You know, 100 points, that's probably still a very, very realistic target for him just this season. So he's definitely been impactful, especially when it matters the most for this team.
0: Well, we'll see what kind of impact he has Friday. Big game in St. Louis. A lot of big ones down the stretch. I mean, there's only 13 left. And like we said, three of them are against either St. Louis or Nashville as we kind of see what that matchup's going to look like and what kind of success they are going to have had against that first-round opponent. Sarah McClellan, good stuff. Appreciate you joining Daily Delivery again. We'll check in with you soon. Take care. Great stuff from Sarah McClellan. As always, love catching up with her on the Wild. Should be a good game tonight against St. Louis. And, you know, like Sarah and I talked about for much of that segment, some work to do against some of these teams in the Central Division. They just haven't been great against the better teams in the division, especially Nashville, and then in that one Winter Classic game against St. Louis. So can they get some better performances, these three left, against St. Louis and Nashville or is it going to be more of the same, and then you go into the playoffs, and you're like, well, they had a really good season, but they don't match up well against these teams. So I think this is an important game tonight. I think it's an important, you know, these three games they have left are important, not just for the standings, but for how they feel going into the postseason. Let's finish with the cooler. Tiger Woods back at it today. Tease off a little bit before 1 o'clock local time. I was glued to the TV yesterday. Not going to lie, I don't think I would have been glued to the Masters quite that same way if Tiger Woods was not back and not doing Tiger Woods things. Shot a one under. Um looked good doing it. You know, the putter saved him in a few cases. You know, no one in my golf viewing has ever been better at making those little 4 or 5 foot par saves and he did that consistently um throughout his opening round Thursday now the big question is going to be can he maintain it can he maintain that stamina can he keep you know keep this up after not playing really for more than a year except for you know practice a little bit here and there can he keep this going can he at least make the cut can he stay in contention i mean after watching him Thursday i'm more convinced that he can at least make the cut and be a be on that leaderboard i don't know about winning this thing there's a lot of great golfers that are in you know in better physical condition that are more tuned up than he is but again like we say about tiger woods you cannot count someone like that out and i think thursday's round gave even more fuel to that idea so i will be watching again friday and throughout the weekend as long as he does make that cut that will do it for today's show thanks so much for joining me all week should have plenty to talk about on monday too coming off that first twin series Coming off the Masters, I'm sure Royce and I will get into all of that on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend, and we'll see you again on Monday.